Good morning, Westside. It is, uh, it's great to have you. I want to join you, uh, join Matt in, in welcoming you here today. Uh, he is risen. He is risen. <sighs> You know, the first was way better than you. So let's do that again. The first was way better. First was way better. So if you don't know what we're doing here, that's actually a good thing. It means you're maybe new to this whole thing. Um, this is sort of like the secret handshake uh, of, of the Christian church. So I'll say he is risen and you just say he is risen indeed. All right? He is risen. Awesome. Fantastic. He is risen indeed. And not just in our hearts, uh, physically, literally. Uh, Jesus uh, went to the grave bodily, physically. He lay in the grave for three days. On Sunday morning, he rose from the grave. And again, not just spiritually, not just in our hearts. He rose from the grave. And he didn't ri- if he didn't rise from the grave, uh, Paul writes, our faith is futile. It's worthless. We're wasting our time. We are still dead in our sins and trespasses. But the great news on this day and all days hereafter is that he did rise. Our faith isn't futile and his resurrection can be our resurrection and that our sins can be taken care of. Paul writes about how of first importance, of first importance of the Christian faith is that Jesus died and he died for a reason. He died for our sins. He went in the grave and he rose from the grave. And if he didn't rise from the grave, our sins aren't taken care of, but he did. And that's the great, that's the great celebration. And that's what we're about today. And that's why we're here. And if you're a guest and you've just walked in off the street, maybe you grabbed one of our invitations or you're with someone getting baptized or you just walked by, saw the signs outside, what a huge, huge honor it is uh, for us to have you. So thank you for being here. We do look forward to baptizing down at the beach, um, which is by the water, and it's going to be cold, so it's going to be great. Um, but whenever we baptize, the sun shines, and it's going to be one, It's going to be wonderful, at least in our hearts, it shines. So it'll be a great time. So we hope you can make it. Uh, if you have a Bible... Uh, please take it out. Turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. If you have a phone and don't have a Bible on you, just find a Bible app. We're in John 20. And we're looking at a text that is found in verses 24 to 31. 24 to 31. Let me read it for you. And then we will start walking through this great text. We'll worship and we'll see a video of those getting baptized and all of that stuff. And then we'll head on out. But John, the writer, obviously, of the Gospel of John, he writes, starting in verse 24, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
Let me pray. Jesus, we do celebrate today because of what you have accomplished, what you have accomplished for us, and what we have realized because of what, what we celebrate today. Um, you coming, dying, being buried, taking our sin on your shoulders, going to the grave, but killing death and rising out from the grave. We thank you for what we get to celebrate. We thank you for your obedience, as Matt already prayed, obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross. But you were not kept there. You did not stay there. You rose, and your resurrection can be our resurrection if we believe. So I pray that as we walk through this sweet, wonderful text that has so much in it, I pray with all of my heart that you, Holy Spirit, would shine into dark places. And those people here today that don't believe, living in a place of disbelief, would come to belief in the resurrected Jesus, even though they don't see you. They would come to know you. And I pray for this. I pray for this desperately with all I've got in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, there are many reasons why people doubt the claims of the Christian faith. Uh, some doubt out of ignorance. What I mean by that is they just don't know much about the Christian faith. They're not ignoramuses. They're just ignorant. They just don't have a lot of facts. They've really not given themselves to the study of the tenets and the pillar, pillars of the Christian faith. So if you were to ask them, do you believe in Christianity? They would say something like, I really don't know. It's not that I don't believe it. I just haven't really given myself to the study of it. There are those types of people, and the world is full of those types of people, those who don't know much about Christianity. And then there are those who doubt but are pursuing faith. In other words, they're asking questions. They're asking questions, they're seeking answers, but they're still on a journey. They're on a journey of landing somewhere. The world is full of those people too. This church is full of people like that. And then there are those that I would call volitionally doubt or doubters. They, they doubt volitionally. Uh, they doubt and they like doubting. In fact, they thrive on it. In, in fact, it's become their identity. Uh, they like living in a place like that. These are individuals that I would call dishonest doubters. They are people who have deep resistance to being convicted or uh, convinced, excuse me. Others doubt as a rite of passage. A lot of students, a lot of uh, kids hitting teenage years, early college years, they go through this period where the faith of their parents becomes their faith or doesn't become their faith. They've been living in a situation where they've so, sort of borrowed the faith of their mom and dad, and they go through this transition time where they have to really wrestle with things and go, do I really believe this? Do I own this? Is it personal to me? And then there are those that D.A. Carson speaks of whose doubt is a product of their sin. They don't sin because they doubt. They doubt because they sin. They have professed Jesus, but they've lived a life where they just out and out practice sin from one day to one week to one month to one season, year after year, and they slowly go from a place of belief to unbelief, steadily moving into that of that arena. And then, finally, there are those whose doubt is the result of a crisis. Perhaps a, a loss of a loved one. Uh, perhaps betrayal. Uh, a hurt of some sort. An illness. 
an individual, maybe in a ministry, who said something, did something, and it's led them to a place of, of crisis, to a place of doubt. Instead of drawing closer to God in that, it propels them away from God. There are those individuals too, which, which leads us back to Thomas. Because as we look at John chapter 20, Thomas, who is a disciple of Jesus, is in deep doubt. He's in a huge crisis of faith. Now, why is he in this place in John 20? Because Jesus, his Jesus, the one that he had followed for the last three, three and a half years, had been arrested, he'd been crucified, and he'd been buried in the ground. And in Thomas's mind, he had no category in his theology for a crucified Messiah. He had no room for it. None whatsoever. And it led him to such a depth of anguish, such a depth of doubt and crisis that even when his closest friends the individuals that he had spent three, three and a half years with came to him and said, Thomas, Jesus is alive. He didn't believe it. He didn't listen to him. In spite of having every reason to believe, as I said, Thomas was one of the 12. He had been chosen from the larger group of individuals who followed Jesus by Jesus himself to be one of the 12, one of the 12 disciples, more specifically one of the 12 apostles. He's one of those. And therefore, he was an individual who followed Jesus closely. He, he was with Jesus. He, he spent intimate time with Jesus. He, he heard Jesus. He saw Jesus. He saw Jesus do the miraculous. He, he even heard Jesus say things like, a time is coming when I will go to Jerusalem and I will be arrested and I will be killed and I will be killed by crucifixion and I will go to the ground. And three days later... I will rise from the grave. Thomas heard that a number of times in his walk with Jesus. But most dramatically, most dramatically, Thomas was at the resurrection of Lazarus. Thomas was there. Remember the resurrection of Lazarus? Lazarus being raised from the dead. It's recorded for us in John chapter 11. Jesus hears about Lazarus, uh, an individual that it records Jesus loved. He, he was a, a good friend of Lazarus and Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, and somebody was sent to tell Jesus, come, come, Jesus, Lazarus, the one you love, is, is not doing well. And so Jesus chose to go to Lazarus, but what you read about in John chapter 11 is Jesus choosing to go to Lazarus was going to put him in harm's way, but he went anyways. And this is what Thomas says, this same Thomas says when Jesus chooses to go, Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. In John chapter 11, Thomas was ready to die. In John chapter 20, the question is, is he ready to believe? That's the question we're going to wrestle with. Does he come to a place of belief? Now, to appreciate our text, the text that I just read, I need you to go back with me a few verses that'll take us a week before. Look at verses 19 and 20, same chapter. So we're going back a week. It sets everything up for what comes next. So we read in verse 19, on the evening of that day, 
the first day of the week. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, the Jewish leadership, the individuals who, who propelled the death of Jesus in conjunction with the Roman leadership as well. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Shalom, peace be with you. When he, Jesus, had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. When is this? This is Resurrection Sunday. Verses 19 and 20 is the first Easter, so to speak. This is the first day of the week. This is Sunday. Two days previous, Good Friday. This is the first Sunday. The disciples are huddled. They're in fear. They're behind locked doors. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears and he shows himself to them. Specifically, he shows them his nailed, scarred hands and his spear-pierced side. And verse 20, what does verse 20 say? It ends this way. When they saw Jesus, they were glad. That's way too tame a word. It's a word that means rejoice. It's a word where we get the word choir out of. It's this sense of celebration. It's a sense of great rejoicing. Jesus is alive and they busted out in worship. But here's the problem. Thomas wasn't there. Just 10 of them were there. Judas is already long gone, gone, or he's gone, he's left. But Thomas wasn't there as well. We read that in verse 24. In verse 24, it says, Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. Now, this highlights the first heir of Thomas. The first heir of Thomas is that in his crisis of faith, he huddled alone. In his crisis of faith, he huddled alone. In his place of great despondency, and I think guilt... I think great guilt, because remember, Thomas ran away from the cross just like every, every other disciple, but he went off by himself, and he suffered alone. He left the community. He went to be by himself, which is what many of us do too when we hit crisis of faith. When we go through times, whatever that time is the result of, too often we follow the example of Thomas and we leave. When we need the people around us the most, we leave them and we go to a place where we hide instead. We run and we hide. That's what Thomas did. That's what way too many people do too. Thomas, like us, would have been better off if he'd been in the presence of other disciples imperfect as disciples are. Disciples can be absolutely nut jobby. You know what I mean? Because look, if he stayed with the disciples, what was their mindset? Same as Thomas. Doubt, fear, angst filled, huddled, closed doors, not sure what's going to happen, but it would have been better for Thomas to be with them, imperfect as they were, than be by himself. Because, do you know what Thomas missed because he went off by himself? Jesus. He, he missed seeing Jesus. But he makes a second error. In his crisis of faith, he not only huddled alone, but in that same crisis, he ignored the testimony of the disciples. 
See, in verse 25, and you can look at it, we read it already. In verse 25, the disciples tell, find Thomas, and they tell him, he is alive. Thomas, he is alive. And I'm sure this wasn't sort of, Thomas, he is alive. I'm sure this is, Thomas, he's alive, man. He's absolutely alive. We talked to him, and, and he spoke to us, and, and we touched him. The, the miraculous wounds of Jesus, we saw them. We, we touched, Thomas, he is alive. But what did Thomas say? Unless I see his hands. I see in his hands, excuse me, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. If I don't see it and I don't touch it, I'm not gonna believe it. Now on the one hand, we kind of respect this. We, we kind of like this about Thomas. Go, I get Thomas, man. I get him. He's, he's taking control of the situation. He's, he's being his own man. He's, he, if I don't see it, I'm not going to believe it. If I, don't, if I don't touch him, I'm not going to believe it. I'll believe it when I see it. Very empirical in nature. I want to observe for myself. I want proof. I want proof. But did Thomas have no proof? He'd had three and a half years with Jesus. He'd heard his teaching. He'd seen his miracles. And now he was hearing the eyewitness testimony of, of how many? Ten disciples. Guys that, as I said earlier, guys that he had spent time with that he'd eaten with, that he'd served with, that he'd ministered with, guys that sweated with him and, and bled with him and did ministry with him, but now he didn't believe them. He didn't believe them. He wasn't impressed. He wasn't convinced. We have to see the arrogance in this at least a little bit, don't we? At least a little bit, if not more than a little bit. I mean, the ten had seen with their own eyes and heard with their own ears. They touched Jesus with their own hands. How could Thomas think that his five senses could be more trusted than the combined senses and the shared testimony of ten men who saw Jesus all at the same time? That's Thomas. How tragic when in our unbelief we take pride in demanding more evidence than what's offered by a group of genuinely changed people. But that's Thomas. And so in spite of the group testimony, Thomas says, I have to see Jesus for myself. And so Jesus in his grace, do you see it? We read it. Jesus in his grace, what does he do? He shows up. He shows up, man. But he waits eight days. He waits eight days. Now note that. That's really important. That's a really important piece of information that John writes there. Jesus waits eight days. Why is that important? It's really important in John's gospel because when Jesus delays, he delays for a reason. Why would Jesus delay? We aren't really told, but I think we can guess. I, I, I think we can reason a little bit together. 
Because remember that John 11 story that I talked about just a few minutes ago about the raising of Lazarus? Those of you that have walked through that great story, it's one of my favorites, and I know it's one of your favorites too, perhaps, at least. Jesus hears about Lazarus being sick, sick, and in that same verse that it talks about Lazarus being sick, it says, and Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him, heard that he was sick. Very next verse it says, and Jesus waited two days to go. Jesus loved him, and then he delayed. Jesus loved him by delaying. So too with Thomas. Why eight days, Jesus? Perhaps say time of reflection. Maybe thinking about the last three, three and a half years. Remember considering, perhaps considering the, the claims of Jesus. Perhaps having further opportunity to talk to the disciples who had seen Jesus. Eight days of that, perhaps. Whatever the reason, Jesus shows up again on the next Sunday. Uh, Jewish counting started the day of, so eight days later from that day, that first Sunday in verse 19, it's the, it's the following Sunday. It's the second Sunday of resurrection, so to speak. The first Sunday was the Sunday of Jesus' resurrection. On this second Sunday, Jesus is going to resurrect Thomas. Do you know who wrote that? The first Sunday was the Sunday of Jesus' resurrection. On this second Sunday, Jesus is going to resurrect Thomas. Do you know who wrote that? Me. It's good, isn't it? You like that? Kind of... When I wrote that, I got pretty fired up. I thought that was good. I thought that was good. More seriously, here's why I pointed out. Here's why I pointed out. Maybe today he'll, re he'll resurrect some of you. Maybe he'll say to dead people today, rise. Maybe today's that Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday. So Jesus shows up in the same way. He did the first time, except this time Thomas is present too, which is a good sign. It's a good sign. Thomas is with them again. But in the second coming, before we look at Thomas, let's notice some things about our Jesus. Because some things are realized or revealed in Jesus in this second coming on this second Sunday. One of the things that we need to notice about Jesus, which is true in Thomas's life and true for us as well, is that he hears. Jesus hears. See, how did, how did Jesus know about the crisis of faith for Thomas? I mean, he wasn't there when the disciples spoke to Thomas or else Thomas would have believed. So how did Jesus know? How did Jesus know? How did Jesus know that Thomas was in this crisis? Well, the answer is Jesus is always here with us. He's with us until the end of the age. Jesus is always here and he hears and he knows the crises we're in. He hears. A second thing to notice about Jesus is that he enters. Jesus enters Thomas's doubt. I love that. Don't be afraid of declaring your doubt to Jesus. He can handle your doubt. He wants to enter your doubt. In fact, our cry should be the cry of the Father in Mark chapter 9. Jesus, I believe but I need you to help me to overcome my unbelief. Jesus wants to enter that. 
He, he does enter that. He enters it with Thomas and he will enter our doubt and our crises as well. The third thing that we need to notice about Jesus, true for Thomas, true for us as well, is he doesn't shame. Shame has no place in the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't shame Thomas for his doubt and nor should we shame anyone for theirs. If you doubt today, welcome here. Coffee's on the house. I should, I should probably get approval before I say things like that. I don't really know. <laughs> he doesn't shame, doesn't shame Thomas for his doubt, but he does press in on it. He loves Thomas that much. He presses in on it. Look at verses 27 to 29, just one more time. Then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Some things, very important things to point out at this stage. Thomas, number one, doesn't receive any more proof than the other disciples did. He just receives it later. Remember verse 20? First appearance on Resurrection Sunday. Jesus appears before the 10 without Thomas at that time. And what does verse 20 say? Jesus showed them his hands and his side. And they were glad. So too with Thomas. Which tells us a couple of things, I, I think. One is, Jesus isn't down on evidence regarding his resurrection. He appeared to the apostles and others for what reason? to bring forth belief. In fact, this is just the beginning with the, with the apostles specifically. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, we read, Jesus presented himself alive to his apostles after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. But what this also shows us is that the statement to Thomas in verse 29 Blessed are you, Thomas, because you've seen me and you believe is as much for the other 10 as it was for him. It's for all 11 of them. Why did all the 11 disciples believe? Same reason Thomas did. The other 10, they saw Jesus. They believed because they saw. They believed in Jesus because they saw Jesus. Which... It was pretty cool. Right, this would have been pretty cool. The first Sunday and the second Sunday. Like just, you're just hanging around your living room and Jesus just shows up. Like that'd be, like if you had a community group and that happened regularly, like that'd be fantastic. Oh, I'm glad you're here. I've got a question about something you said in Matthew 25. Can you unpack it for me? This would be fantastic. Right, like booyah, he's here. Welcome. This is, I mean, how great, how absolutely great would this have been? I mean, how blessed, how blessed were the disciples to have been able to believe because they were able to see the resurrected Jesus. Do you know how blessed? Not as much as you and me. You believe because you've seen me? Let me drop a beatitude on you, Thomas. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Do you know why it was vital for Jesus to appear to his disciples by many proofs before his ascension? Because they had never walked by faith before and they were about to. 
and without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we are saved by faith through grace. And do you know why we are more blessed in our belief than the disciples were in theirs? Peter answers, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. Though you do not see him, now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and it's filled with glory. Westside, we are more blessed because there is a seeing of the soul. There are eyes of the heart. What does Jesus say in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5? Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. A guy named Will Pounds, he writes this. Faith is the gaze of the soul upon a saving God. A gaze that is the raising of the inward eyes of the soul to meet the all-seeing eyes of God. Let me close with a couple of takeaways. The first takeaway, we can't miss it, is we should, we should understand the proper response to the resurrection. What should the resurrection of Jesus lead to? Well, we see two responses here. The first, it should lead to the worship of Jesus. Secondly, it should lead to the witness of Jesus. We hear the worship of Thomas in response to the resurrected Jesus in verse 28. My Lord and my God, and he is. I declare publicly that Jesus is Lord and God. Yahweh God. He is Lord and God. And he received this worship from Jesus. Thomas finally got his eyes off himself and onto Jesus. And we see the witness of Jesus by the disciples in verse 25. They came to Thomas, found Thomas. Thomas, he is alive. We see the witness. And if you read through the book of Acts, that's all they talk about, the resurrection of Jesus. It's the resurrection of Jesus, resurrection of Jesus, resurrection of Jesus. They bear witness to Jesus through what they, what they said. But what do we see? What did we read in the last two verses of our text? Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. These are written. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We have this written for us so that we would come to a place of believing in Jesus. That's what this is for. This is why we teach this. Because this is God's word to us. It's, it's, it's the recording of testimonies of, of, of people who follow Jesus and the testimony of Jesus himself and Jesus saying, I've come because I love you. I come because you're sick and you need a physician and I come because you're a sinner and you're lost and I'm gonna take all of that stuff on me and I'm gonna go to the cross for you. I'm gonna die for you, for your lostness, your sinful nature. I'm gonna die for it all. And all of that forgiveness that is found with my death on the cross can be yours if you respond by faith to the gracious offering. You don't have to do a thing. You don't have to do a thing. It's written here. That's what this is. It's written here so we'll come to a place of great faith in our God and Savior, Jesus. This same John writes this in the first epistle. 
John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John as well as the book of Revelation. And he writes, that which was from the beginning. What? What's that from the beginning? That's Jesus. John begins his epistle the exact same way he begins his gospel. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. His name is Jesus. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the Word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He came, life coming, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too, Westside today, guests, friends, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We should worship and we should witness. We should have the same response which turns the question back to us. Do you believe? Will you believe? We do have the same testimony of the eyewitnesses right here. Are your senses better than theirs? And we do have the written record of the life and teaching and signs of Jesus all culminating in what we celebrate today with hundreds of millions around the globe, the resurrection of Jesus. Bringing validity to everything he did and claimed. Everything he promised. We walk by faith and not by sight, but our faith has solid, credible, historical evidence of a risen Savior. By believing, even though you don't see, you will be blessed and you will have life, eternal life in his name. And if you do believe today, already, or come to believe today, you know what you are? You're an answer to the prayer of Jesus for you. A, a prayer recorded for us in John chapter 17 where he says, I do not ask for these only, speaking of the apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. If you're a follower of Jesus, that prayer has been answered in your life. And if you doubt, why do you? Are you needing more information? We'd love to walk through that with you. That's why we exist. Are you in the midst of a crisis? Can I encourage you to not walk through it alone? Don't huddle by yourself. Come to community. Full of nut jobs <laughs> who want to walk through it with you. A bunch of clowns here. Be a clown with them. Don't huddle alone. Has your doubt become your identity? Can I encourage you to become more honest than perhaps you have ever been before and consider Jesus? Maybe you're simply parroting the faith of your parents. Can I invite you to make it your own today? And finally, perhaps you doubt, and it comes because you're living a life of sin. Can I invite you back to Jesus today? He, he's here. He's here. Can you see him? He'll enter if you invite a man. Booyah. Booyah. Right here. Right here. 
No locked door can keep them out. Let's pray together. And so, Jesus, I thank you that you are here. And I thank you that you do pursue. And I thank you that you do enter our doubt and our, our crises. I thank you. I thank you. And I, I pray. I pray for all of us here. Desperately, I pray. As I prayed at the beginning, I, I want people to see Jesus today. I want people to know Jesus today. Those that don't know, to come to Jesus for the first time, just say, yes, Jesus. So, Holy Spirit, would you just grab a hold of them? Please, for the glory of your name, please do it, please. And for those that do, I, I pray that they would just pursue you even more. Just go, I want more of you, Jesus. I want more of you, Jesus. Like, like Paul says, I, I know Jesus, but I want to know Jesus. I want to become like Jesus. Pursue Jesus, pursue you in that way. I want to see that happen. See repentance and worship and all because of you, Jesus. All because of you. I pray that this world would become strangely dim. You become more increased, we would decrease. I pray for all of that. So I pray as we go into this time and we hear the test testimonies 2,000 years after these testimonies. Testimonies of people that have seen Jesus with their hearts and their souls. And their lives have been changed. They love Jesus with a joy that's inexpressible. And I just pray that in seeing that, people would be stirred. That you'd use the testimonies and the worship and all of this for great ministry. And I pray for these things in the great and beautiful and wondrous name of you, Jesus. Amen.